Our scripture today is found in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. God says, For I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. In her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days, or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the one who dies at a hundred years old will be mourned as a young man, and the one who misses a hundred years will be considered cursed. People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. My chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like cattle. But the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. in submission under your word and say, God, what do you have to say to me through your eternal truth? And so, Lord, along with your servant, yeah, little Samuel, who, who is in the temple, we say, Lord, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. If you want to hear from God today, why not, why not just join me in saying that? Ready? Three, two, one. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. If I told you to take your car off the road right now, what would, would you do it? If I told you to take your car off the road right now, would you do it? Uh, these are the words that I expected to, these are not the words I expected to hear on the phone just this past week uh, while talking with my mechanic. All I did was I took it in for an oil change and put the snow tires on and then I called him up and he said, if I told you to take your car off the road right now, would you do it? And uh, I said, well, can I drive it around until I get a new car? And he said, no. <laughs> he said that the brake lines are seeping and the car might be one pothole away from the driver falling through <laughs> to the road surface below. And so that car is now scrap. <laughs> now, I'm a little bit sad because that car was a good little car. First of all, we got it for free, which is always a good thing. And uh, our girls called it 
Tiny Tim. <laughs> and it was a great little runaround. It was fun to drive. It was a standard which, for me, just warms my heart. And, uh, and yeah, it was a gift. And it was the car that Ariana was hoping to learn to drive. And she had all these plans to get CDs and to put them in the CD player. She drives around with her friends. But uh, all those dreams are now in the ground. RIP, rust in peace, Tiny Tim. But in the end, Tiny Tim was just a car. But when we lose a someone rather than a something, the loss is often a lot stronger and more palpable because, of course, people are infinitely more precious and important than things. In my years as a pastor, I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death with many people. I've attended many end-of-life services. Um, I've led many end-of-life services, and I even attended one yesterday. And when it comes to that ceremony that marks the end of life, I've noticed that the family will call it one of two things. They will either call it a funeral, which is the traditional name. Uh, however, there are more and more people who refer to it uh, by a different name, a celebration of life. Now, the word funeral comes from the Latin word funus, meaning corpse, whereas celebration of life has the word life in it and the word celebration as well. So you can hear from the words themselves alone that they are leaning in two very different ways. So funerals in general focus more on the loss and the grief and the absence of the one who's no longer with us, whereas celebrations of life are generally more positive by nature. Uh, there are stories emphasizing, you know, the good and the times worth remembering. Two very sentiments. Uh, one is death, funeral, and on the other is life celebration of life. And so this morning, I want to invite you to a funeral in the Bible, or perhaps it's a celebration of life, or perhaps it's actually both, a celebration of life and a funeral. And it's not for a rusty old car called Tiny Tim, and it's not for a person. It's a celebration in life a celebration of life and a funeral for the entire cosmos as we know it. For everything that we look out and see, and we can see through, you know, the telescopes and the, um, yeah, the David Webb telescope, I think it's called, and all that stuff. Everything that we can see, this is the funeral and the celebration of life for that. So we read in Isaiah 65, verse 17, For I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. This is the ultimate celebration of life. Or to be more precise, the celebration of new life. You know, God says that he will create a new heavens and a new earth. And one thing, I don't know if you've heard me mention this over the past little while, but we have this idea that we go somewhere else when we die and uh, don't know what it looks like, but it'll be nice, hopefully. But what we read in the Bible is that God will create a new heavens and a new earth. This is the Christian hope that God will create everything new. He will make everything new. And Isaiah says that this new creation will be so incredible that the past events will not be remembered or even come to mind. They won't even feature on your radar. My current laptop that I'm using here on the stage is fast and it's nifty and it's 
small enough that I can work at Starbucks if I want, or I can work in the office, or I can work at home, or I can take it to the mall like I did yesterday. Um, it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. But um, a couple of weeks ago, I was cleaning out some of, some of my shelves, and I found these old laptops. And I lifted down these huge clunkers. Like, I'm talking massive. You almost had to crank them up, you know, to get them started. And, uh, and then I, I hefted them into Stacy's office, and I said to her, could you wipe the hard drives of these laptops so that we can finally get rid of them? And for the first time in what must have been years, I started one up, and it was slow. You could hear its gears grind as it tried to start, as the fan started up. And the thing is, up until that moment that I started it up again, I forgot how slow it was. Uh, and in fact, I remember thinking, when I used it before, I didn't think it was slow. I thought it was okay. I thought it was normal. It worked. It did what it was supposed to. But compared to my newish laptop, it is a dinosaur. And this laptop's obsoleteness, if that's a word, only came to mind when I had my old laptop next to my new laptop. And the same thing with the new heavens and the new earth. For I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. I don't think it's necessarily saying that um, you can't think about what happened before, but it just won't come to your mind. Why would you think about it with what you have there now? It would be like me wanting to trade in my new laptop for my old laptop. It doesn't make sense. It's not going to happen. And this is the celebration of life. This, and, and this celebration of life continues in the next verse. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. This is God speaking. For I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight. So here we see the celebration of life continuing. Be glad, it says. Rejoice. You know, is this a command or is this, you know, um, an exaltation? Uh, whatever it is, God's saying that we should do it forever in what God is creating. And this thing that God's creating is the second creation event. And God is telling us to be glad and rejoice forever. This second creation event is going to be that good and that amazing and that astounding that we cannot even picture it. If you're sat here going, well, I don't know what that's like. That's the very point. You have no idea. He's creating a new Jerusalem, a new Zion, a new city, a new society. He's literally creating a new world order, but not in a creepy or a totalitarian way. It's going to be beautiful. Our fallen natures will be completely restored, and we're going to be in society together. There will be society in this new world as we... Uh, uh, so it won't be just you. It'll be we. It'll be us. We're going to be in a city as the words say here, a functioning metropolis of amazingness. Now, whether God is speaking literally about an actual city or speaking metaphorically, the point is that we're going to be together and it's going to be a delight. Okay, look around at each other. Now, you can look around. Okay, it's going to be a delight. Everyone say together, it's going to be a delight. And if you're rolling your eyes and, you know, kind of, yeah, whatever, Dan. That's because we're not there yet. 
Can you imagine society as a delight? No, I can't either. But that is what it will be. And God says that he will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people, who are the redeemed people of Jesus, to be a delight. And because of this, God says that we should be glad and rejoice forever. Again, this is a celebration of life, a celebration of new life. The old has gone, the new has come in its fullness, the death of the old way and the birth of the new way. Now, interestingly, it's not just us who are going to rejoice and be glad. Apparently, God is going to rejoice and be glad too. I will rejoice. Where is it? Verse 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. Okay, God will rejoice in Jerusalem. So this means that we're going to be happy. Verse, nine, verse 18. And God's going to be happy. Verse 19. And the source of God's happiness, the source of God's joy, is his people in you and me and us. Now, when I ask you if you could look around and say, well, we'll you know, can we rejoice in our society? And we kind of go, no. Well, imagine God in his perfection with his perfect knowledge. Imagine him being able to rejoice in us. That means that something will have fundamentally have had to change this new heavens and this new earth. And so as we gather as the glorified and the redeemed people of God um, with, and we're free of sin, we're free of selfishness, we're free of lust, we're free of hate and greed, as God creates this new society of people liberated from the stain of sin, God will be glad. The redemption project that God started in the Garden of Eden with the prophecy of the seed of the um, of the seed of Eve crushing the head of the serpent, this will be fulfilled here. And it will make God Himself happy. Friends, this is a celebration of life. This is a celebration of the new heavens and the new earth, with us rejoicing in God and God rejoicing in us. And no one's going to have to paint a smile on their face or grin and bear it or force themselves to be happy. It's just going to flow, flow, flow. And in this place, in this new Jerusalem, this heavenly city that comes to earth, God tells us something very specific. He says that the sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. This, this, this week has been... Um, a week of remembrance, remembering and weeping and crying. But in this moment, in the future, there will be no sobbing, no bawling, no weeping, no, no blubbering, no sniveling, no howling, no silent sobs. Now, of course, crying and weeping are just symptoms uh, or results of something else. You know, no one ever cries just because, right? There's always a reason to cry. So if there's no more crying and weeping, it means that the cause of crying and weeping will have gone. And so I wonder what it is that causes you to cry into your pillow when you're on your own. What is it that causes you to sob? Friends, if crying and weeping are gone, like I say, then it means that the, 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 that the symptom or the cause of it must also be gone. That thing that causes you to cry into your pillow will be done with. 
will be gone. There's a singer-songwriter called Jason Gray, and he says this, I believe that everything sad is coming untrue in the hands of the one who is making all things new. I'd really recommend you checking him out. He's a singer, and he's a great songsmith, and he's a stutterer. So uh, if you want to see someone, if, you, if one stuttering singer is not enough for you, then here's another one. He's a, a wonderful guy. And the uh, link to this video uh, is, is, is in the YouTube video um, and also in the podcast that I'll send out later on. But I love Jason's Gray, Jason Gray's way of expressing this, that everything sad is coming untrue. Everything sad is coming untrue. And this is the marker of the disciple that we're looking at this morning, that disciples know that everything sad is coming untrue. Maybe we're not there yet, but one day. So up until now, we've been focusing on the celebration of life thing, um, of the celebration of new life, of the new heavens and the new earth. But also, let's remember that this is a funeral. So now let's pause to uh, open you know, the casket, and to look at the remains of those things that we are remembering in this powerful service. What is in the caskets in front of us? Well, the first corpse that we see in this wake is, is the corpse of death itself. That this cosmic ceremony is a funeral for death itself. Verse 20 says this, in her, a nursing infant will no longer live only a few days or an old man not live out his days. Indeed, the one who dies at a hundred years old will be mourned as a young man and the one who misses a hundred years, who doesn't make a hundred years, will be considered cursed. Now, here's the thing with the Bible is that sometimes the concepts that the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate through the written word are so big and so massive and so beyond our imagining um, and our ability to comprehend that we need a bit of a hand to wrap our head around it. And the way that the Bible does this often is that it uses terms or concepts that are familiar to us, don't necessarily explain the whole truth, but there's something that we can grasp and go, okay, I understand that even if they're not literally true. So, for example, in the new heavens and the new earth, are people going to die at 100 years old? As verse 20 said, well, the answer to that, if you know anything about the new heavens and the new earth, is no. That won't happen. Verse 20 is kind of like Isaiah saying to us, okay, we're going to live forever. And then we go, okay, but what is forever? I don't understand forever. Help me understand the concept of forever. And then Isaiah's like, okay, well, let me think. Okay, so imagine if you have this super old dude. Let's say he's like a hundred years old. You mean someone like Rosie? And we're like, yeah, someone like Rosie. And he says, well, in the new heavens and the new earth, someone who is a hundred they will be thought of as just a little lad, someone that you come along and rub the head of. They've hardly even started yet. They're still in their youth. And so we're being told in a poetic sense, because this is a poem, is that death is done. There's no more miscarriages. There's no more infants losing their lives. There's no more sub sudden inf infant death syndrome. There's no, and there's no more deaths 
due to old age. And if you've mourned someone either young or old and you feel that grief in the new heavens and the new earth, you won't have to worry about it anymore. Praise God. So death is now dead. Let's pay our respects. And not only is death done and in the grave, but fear is done as well. Verse number 21 says, People will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build and others live in them. They will not plant and others eat. For my people's lives will be like the lifetime of a tree. Now just think about our world, how much our world is ruled by insecurity and fear. You know, the fear of not having enough, or the fear of losing out, or the fear of putting all of this work into our lives only for someone to come along afterwards and to snatch it from us. Think of food insecurity or housing insecurity, um, of just how much of our life is wrapped up in fear um, of the strong taking from the weak, of not having enough for retirement, of, of failing in life, of somehow making the wrong choice in life that impacts everything and sets you on a trajectory that you did not want. Well, imagine a world in which fear is no longer because it is dead. You know, imagine building your dream house and not worrying if interests if interest rates are going to go up afterwards. Or imagining getting your city condo and never being worried if it's going to be repossessed. Or imagine planting your vineyard or your crops and not worrying whether the bank is going to take it as collateral or a government is going to redesignate the land as something else and seize it. Imagine that kind of a world. And so I love this idea of the new heavens and the new earth as a new society, as a place where we're going to live life together, um, but without fear. Without the fear of loss, our lifetimes will be like the lifetime of a tree. We will be like stately oaks that just go on and on and on, but not just for 200 years, but forever. So fear is now dead. Let's pay our respects. Verse 22, they will not build, or sorry, my, my chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success or bear children destined for disaster, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, along with their descendants. Now, in this world of uncertainty, so many people, right, live for the cottage or for the trailer or for the vacation abroad. You know, so many people live for the weekend, for, um, you know, that for many people in this world that, you know, the cost of two days of freedom is five days of drudgery and hard work and misery and having to put in your time, right? That's how many people live. You know, I see Instagram influencers um, as they film videos shot from a boat Somewhere in the Maldives, maybe. And they're saying, you know, we've cracked the code. We know how you can work on, you know, two days, and then you can just make all this money. And if you just send us an email or whatever, then we'll tell you the secret, right? We're told this. You know, there are some companies who are testing out the four-day work week, which sounds like an amazing idea, except I'm thinking, how do you do the rest of the stuff? 
How do you fit five days into, you know, into four? And then there are other companies who are trying you know, a, um, an in-person at-home hybrid. Everyone's trying to figure out the problem to work, particularly job dissatisfaction or job unfulfillment. How can we make work fulfilling? And one of the incredible components of this vision of the new heavens and the new earth is that people will enjoy the work of their hands. There will be job satisfaction, in other words. People will go home at the end of the day, every single day, feeling tired and happy that they've done a good day's work. Now, I don't know what the economy or the social structure of this new heavens and new earth will be, but verse 22 and 23 tell us that we will all be satisfied, that we will be satisfied in doing what we do best, that we will be satisfied in doing what God created us for. You know, work isn't a curse. Adam and Eve had jobs before the fall, but what the fall introduced was job dissatisfaction and job unfulfillment. God's words to Adam, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. This is hard work being pictured here. Unsatisfying work, dissatisfying work. But in the new heavens and the new earth, this curse is reversed. Which is why it says, my chosen ones will fully enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor without success. Everything that you put in, you will see return. You will see yield. And what about Eve? What was Eve's curse? Eve's curse was, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. I can't empathize with that. Although there was this one... No, I'm not. I'm joking. But in the new heavens and the new earth, the curse is reversed. It says that they will not bear children destined for disaster. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord along with their descendants. So unfulfillment and dissatisfaction are now dead. Let's pay our respects. Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Another thing that will be laid to rest is cosmic silence or loneliness. Have you ever had those times where you are reaching out to God and it feels like God is silent? Andrew Peterson sings a song with these words. He says, it's enough, or he sings, it's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane when he's bleating for comfort from thy staff and thy rod. And the heaven's only answer is the silence of God. In fact, I think that many of our struggles in life are to do exactly with this, with not hearing from God. That's not to say he's not present or he's not speaking, but because of the breakdown in communication resulting from the fall and simply because God is God, his ways are higher than our ways and we, we, are, we are creatures because we're on a completely different plane. Sometimes we struggle to hear him or to discern what he's saying to us. But in the new heavens and the new earth, our communication will, with God will be absolutely perfect. It will operate at the speed of thought. You think it and he knows, and he thinks it and you know. 
Even before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. And so the cosmic loneliness or silence that many of us feel will be over and done with forever. And so friends, cosmic silence and loneliness are now dead. Let's pay our respects. Let's turn to the final casket. Verse 25 says, The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle, but the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote a poem in 1850 called Memoriam A.H.H. And one of, the, one of the cantos of this very long poem reads like this. It says, Who trusted God was love indeed and love creation's final law, though nature read in tooth and claw with ravine shrieked against his creed. And what the poet is wrestling with in this, in this canto, in this stanza, is that God is love, and if God is love, then surely creation is love, that, you know, that that's his fundamental principle, and yet what we see is, is nature red in tooth and claw. We see nature fighting nature, we see nature eating nature, and, and, and we see that there's a bit of a disconnect there, and that's what Alfred Lord Tennyson is working through here, that we have a food chain, that we have hunters, that we have, um, you know, predators, Well, in the new heavens and the new earth, Isaiah tells us that nature will be at peace with itself. Says the wolf and the lion and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like cattle. And the reason for this is, is that God will have finally undone what Satan did in the garden, which is introducing sin to the world, tempting Adam and Eve, and bringing about the fall of humankind. This will be undone. Nature will be united and at peace once again. Um, if you're a hunter, you will find heaven enjoyable. I know you will, okay? But it seems to be saying... That, uh, you know, that, you know, that, that season of uh, one thing killing and eating another um, will be over. Now, maybe you're there going, well, I don't want to go to heaven. I, I can't wrap my, my head around it. Perhaps this is a poem. It's a pictorial language. Or perhaps it means it's, it's literally true. Either way, heaven is going to be incredible. And you won't be there going, I wish you could have a steak. So here lies evil and the dog-eat-dog world that Satan has created. Let's pay our respects, and we're paying our respects to evil. Because, you know, you know, like I said, that this, uh, the dog-eat-dog world comes from Satan, and uh, one of the prophecies here in Isaiah 65 is that the serpent's food will, will be dust. So here ends today's funeral service, ashes to ashes and dust to dust. A funeral for death, a funeral for fear, a funeral for dissatisfaction and unfulfillment, a funeral for cosmic silence and loneliness, and a funeral for our dog-eat-dog world and evil. And here ends today's celebration of life or celebration of new life, this new heavens and the new earth where we will rejoice in and 
Celebrate God and God will rejoice and and celebrate us. This is what we have to look forward to if we love and serve Jesus. But we're not there yet, of course, we're not there yet. Uh, We still live in a world of death and fear and dissatisfaction and unfulfillment and and cosmic loneliness and silence. We still live in a red in tooth and claw world. We still see old people dying and young babies dying. And that's going to be our reality until the full culmination of God's new creation. We're not there yet. So how do we live? How do we live as people of hope that one day this old world will will be taken off the road? You know, if I told you to take this old world off the road immediately, would you do it? How do we live when that's not yet our reality? Well, what if we lived life as if it were a practice funeral and a practice celebration of life in preparation for the cosmic one, the one that will come one day. You know, uh, Paul actually gets at the heart of this in Romans 6 verse 11. He says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what if your life through living out Romans 6 verse 11 was a rehearsal for Isaiah 65? You know, we've heard of wedding rehearsals, right? We don't hear a lot of funeral rehearsals, but why not? Because every time we choose life over death and love over fear, every time we choose to serve God in faith and joy in our unsatisfying work, it's a practice funeral. Every time we choose to wait for God in that silence instead of buying into the lie that God doesn't care, Every time we observe Sabbath, it's a practice funeral. Every time we proclaim God's shalom in the midst of this angry, violent, red claw and red tooth, war-torn and divided world, we are doing in micro what we'll one day experience in macro. And every time we choose to rejoice in God and what he's creating through the preaching of the gospel and missions and even just our daily example, it's a practice celebration of life. And every time we believe in faith, that God rejoices in us because of Jesus. It's a practice celebration of life. So consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Friends, we're preparing for that day when God says, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The past events will not be remembered or come to mind. And we do this Because this is what disciples do. Disciples know that one day everything sad is coming untrue. 